0: friends. Thank you for being with us on this Wednesday night. Grab your hymnbook, turn to page 66 if you would, please. Page 66 in your hymnbook. Let's stand and sing. First, second, and last verse at Calvary. Page 66. Let's stand and sing together tonight. Here we go. Years I spent in... Sing with us now. Years I spin in vanity and pride. Not my Lord was crucified No word at last my sin i learned then i trembled at the law i spurred till my guilty soul implored. Number four now. Thank you so much. Let me give you a couple of prayer requests tonight, then we'll take your request this evening. First of all, some of you already saw this on social media perhaps, but pray, pray, pray for Miss Annie from the Joyful Sounds. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it was you can check it out. It's out there as of last night. She had another fall yesterday, and unfortunately, it was disastrous. She, uh, she did not hurt her foot that she broke the last time, but she broke a wrist, fractured a couple of ribs, and broke her jaw. Uh, and she's got that wired shut for the next two months at least and is going to have to have rehab and therapy. She's in a uh, tough, tough, tough shape. So pray for Annie if you would. I know they'd appreciate that. Joyful Sound going to keep singing uh, during her absence, but remember Annie in prayer if you would. All right, your requests on my left tonight want to share. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Leanne. Appreciate that. On my left, yes, sir, Brother Josh. If you've never had that, you're, oh, my gosh. Even in the best of situations, that mess is nasty. Nasty. Amen. That's one of the few times in my life I've lied to a doctor. (laughs) Asked me if I drank it. Yes, sir, I drank every bit of it. Such a lie. (laughs) Somebody else on my left tonight. Yes, sir. Absolutely, Brother Rufus, you bet. Somebody else on my left. Thank you. Yes, ma'am, Lisa. Absolutely. Thank you, sister. Anybody else on my left? Yes, ma'am. All right, Miss Janie, certainly. Anyone else on my left? Thank you for these. Yes. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, sister. Appreciate that. Somebody else? All right, in the center tonight, want to share a request? Yes, sir. All right, certainly. Thank you. Say again? Gonna be quiet. Amen. All right. Yes, sir, Brother Biggs. All right, thank you, my friend. Yes, Miss Wasowski. All right. Pray for him. We're leaking Valve in his heart. And of course, most of you know him. He works up at, at the funeral home. Yes, sir, brother up church. All right, thank you, friend. Appreciate that. Miss Helbert. Amen. Wonderful. Certainly. Amen, Miss Helbert. Certainly. Somebody else in the middle. Thank you for these tonight. Yes, sir, Brother John. Absolutely. Amen. You better believe. Boy, God must have something great for us, the way the devil's fighting it. Amen. That's well said, Brother John. Amen. Amen. I mentioned uh, in my Sunday school class about Brother Heath. Really lift him up in prayer. Uh, Heath Williams, the one that's scheduled to preach for us in a couple of weeks at the start of our Jubilee, uh, left for a, a honeymoon with his wife. They didn't take one when they got married got food poisoning before he left the country, got to, the, uh, got to Mexico, had a shot for the food poisoning, allergic reaction to the shot, then got hand, foot, and mouth disease and strep. Uh, he's in bad, bad shape. So pray for Heath if you would. Appreciate that. Anybody else in the middle? On my right tonight, want to share a request this evening? Yes, sir. Amen. Certainly, brother. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am, Ms. Irma? Certainly. Amen, amen. Miss Pam, absolutely, absolutely. Miss Pam was sharing uh, some of that tonight. Lots of situations there that she her family needs. Thank you, Miss Pam, Brother the map. Yes, thank you. A lot of you know Missy Lanham. Uh, she's actually been here to our church before uh, when a couple of events was done. Uh, she and I talked together. Good, precious young lady going through her second battle of cancer now. So pray for Missy. Thank you, Matt. Yes, sir. Amen, Charlie. You bet. Somebody else, thank you for all of these, church. On my right-hand side, anyone else? All right, let's join together in prayer tonight. Father, we love you this evening, and we're glad to be in your house. We're so thankful for the opportunity to bear one another's burdens we sure don't take for granted that you've given us this privilege and this opportunity. Lord, for each of these requests tonight, both the spoken and the unspoken, Lord, we know that you have heard each one And, God, we also take comfort in the fact that when we put them at the cross, that's exactly where they need to be. And, Lord, we ask for your wisdom to help us uh, be the light in each of these situations. Lord, as we go into our Bible study time tonight, such an important topic that we'll be discussing. So, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to deliver the message you've laid upon our hearts now. In Christ's name, amen. Page 65 in your hymn book. Flip back a page to where we were. Uh, Another song that I like, so when I get to do it, I pick out my favorites. Page 65, just over in the glory land. One verse tonight, and then we'll shake hands. Page 65. tonight. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, ladies. Uh, Ushers, make your way down tonight if you would. Congregation, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18 tonight. 1 Kings chapter 18 this evening. You worship the Lord if you haven't done so with tithes and offerings. We're going to get into a message tonight that I think is not because I'm talking about it, but is of such importance. So I wanted to uh, provide ample time for us to talk about it. 1 Kings 18. Father, bless our offering. God, may it be what you'd have it to be. Lord, bless especially our Bible study time to come in Christ's name. Amen. First Kings tonight, chapter number 18. Brother Toler, we love you, buddy. We're glad to see you tonight. And I share with everybody on Sunday that their family accepted the call to Faith Baptist. They'll be starting the first Sunday in August. And uh, until then, we're, we're, we're glad to see you, man. Uh, and college is going to remain here at least for the coming year. So folks have already been asking about that. And uh, we're glad to report that's going to stay with us. First Kings tonight, chapter number 18 you've been with us on Wednesday nights, we have been talking about a series through the summer about overcoming spiritual discouragement. Thus far, what we've been looking at is the mountaintop experience, both literally and figuratively, that Elijah experienced there on Mount Carmel. Last week, we Really talked about the showdown that happened there on Mount Carmel. Carmel on Mount. I'm thinking of caramel. That's that five week diet. I'm just telling you. <laughs> on Mount Carmel, that's all I can think about is caramel. Uh, the 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 showdown that happened there on Mount Carmel, and how God uh, in just a matter of seconds uh, outperformed what Baal and the prophets thereof couldn't do over the course of hours and hours and hours. A sixty plus word prayer that Elijah prayed, God sent fire down from heaven, lapped up the sacrifice, the wood, the water, and immediately proved that he was God. That's where we left off last week. I want to give you tonight what is our fifth message in this series. And I'm calling tonight's message, One Crisis Ends and Another One Begins. If you've been in the work of God, if you've been saved for any length of time, you understand that the Christian life is oftentimes feels like from one crisis to the next, from one problem to the next. You've heard me say a bunch of times that when you have a spiritual mountaintop experience, be very careful, because you but you can rest assured that the devil wants to knock you off of that mountaintop experience. And you're going to see that that something pretty incredible happens besides what we've already witnessed. Something incredible happens to the people of Israel, and then the devil has Elijah squarely in his sight. I've said a few times now, I'll say one more time, that most scholars believe that Elijah is or was what we would think of perhaps as someone who suffered from bipolar syndrome. Going from an incredible mountaintop experience to an immediate plummet into a valley of depression and seemingly making illogical choices. We're going to look at that tonight. We're going to have a candid conversation. We're going to talk about what happens in both a physical and a spiritual aspect when we come into these battles of both spiritual and physical depression. I want us to begin reading in chapter 18, verse number 39. We're going to read the rest of chapter 18. But during the course of the message, we'll also start into chapter 19 because that's where things get really critical for Elijah. So 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse number 39. Well, let's go back to verse 38 just to pick up where we left off last week. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He is the God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. They took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. I know that flies in the face of modern sensibilities. I'm going to explain to you why that was a necessity. Verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Two thoughts that we're going to look at tonight. Fault number one, one crisis ends. Fault number two, another crisis begins. So let's start tonight about how the one crisis comes to an end. When the fire falls from heaven and the sacrifice is lapped up from the top down, when, when all of the people see what happens, they do two things according to the verse that we just read. The first thing they do is fall under conviction. For Scripture says that they fall on their faces. They fell on their faces. In an immediate reaction to what they've witnessed, I think a sense of humility sets in. And they begin to realize what Elijah was saying all along, that the God that they had abandoned was the one true God to begin with. They fall on their faces. And then they begin to confess the Lord, he is God. And if you've got a King James Bible, I hope you do, the word Lord there is in capital letters. That means that we're talking about Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of Israel, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the God of Abraham. We're not talking about any God. So when they say the Lord, he is God, uh, literally what they're saying is Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is the one true God. May I pause just a moment and say now they're in a good spot. Now they're in a place where Elijah had been trying to get them to begin with. A place of repentance, a place of recognition, a place of understanding that the God that they had abandoned was the same God that was now waiting for them to come home. The people's repentance. Verse number 40 gives what I'm calling the prophet's removal. Again, this is going to fly in the face of the modern sensibility. Because immediately Elijah takes some action that really doesn't sit well with our 21st century ideology. Notice what he does in verse 40. We read it once. Let's read it one more time. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. Who's he talking to? The people that have just now cried out to God, uh, that have just fallen on their faces, uh, that have just witnessed the fact of what God can do and have proclaimed the Lord he is God. Elijah says to them, I'm paraphrasing, Hey, y'all, get them. Hey, y'all, don't let any of them escape. Uh, circle up. Uh, we got to take care of them. What happens? Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. They took them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Again, not something we think about in our modern-day sensibility. But Elijah wisely recognized that the ideology that these prophets had preached had become a cancer in Israel. And that absent removing the cancer, there was no way to stop it from spreading. So Elijah took matters into his own hands, some might say. But I submit to you tonight that if you go home and you read Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse number 5, that what Elijah was doing to the prophets of Baal is exactly what God said to do to anyone in Israel who preached a false prophecy, who preached a false ideology. Elijah was following what God said to do when there was someone who proclaimed to be a prophet and what he prophesied about was contrary to the message God had given. Frankly, God said, get rid of them, kill them, destroy them. That's what Elijah did. And noticed what happens, church. This is astounding to me because we go from the people's repentance to the prophet's removal. And in verses 41 through 46, we have the precipitation's return. Someone remind me, how long has it been in this story since it's last rained? Three and a half years. Notice I said in this story, I was afraid if I said, does anyone know how long it was since it's rained? You thought I was talking about us. (laughs) But think about that for just a second, folks. We've been without much rain for a few weeks, and notice how dry and parched everything is. Think for just a second of how it would be for three and a half years. Brother John came up to me after the service last Wednesday and asked a very pertinent question. Preacher, have you ever wondered uh, when there was no water around, when things were so dry, uh, what the mouths had to drop open when Elijah said, water down the sacrifice with, six, with 12 buckets of water? Can you imagine what they thought as bucket after water, this scarce commodity that nobody had was poured on top of a sacrifice? Why would Elijah do that? Well, think with me. Elijah has now commanded that these false prophets be gotten rid of, and what returns? Rain. Look at the next verse. Verse 41. Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. That, that verse is laden with meaning. The very fact that he said, get thee up, I think Elijah had, had, had almost passed out in, in, in incredible disillusionment over what had happened. Perhaps he's sitting there. Perhaps he's laying there. He can't believe that, that Baal would not come through. He can't believe that God swooped down and devoured the sacrifice. And he can't believe that all the prophets of Baal are dead. And so Elijah, the preacher turns to Ahab, the king, and said, Hey, buddy, get up. I hear showers of blessing off in the distance, the sound of abundance of rain. I'm struck by the fact, Gregology, but I'm struck by the fact uh, that it was only after the execution of the false prophets did God let it rain. I'm struck by the fact that Elijah prayed and it stopped raining, uh, but I don't see where Elijah prayed again to make it rain. I don't see where it was an act of Elijah saying, God, let it rain now. I see uh, where, where the cancer of the the, the, the imbase religion was removed or, or, or the ungodly practice, and then God said, I'll return showers of blessing. When, listen now. When the people got right with God God poured out blessing upon the people. Isn't that a simple statement? But it is a profound reality. We know it, we hear it, I recite it. You know it if my people which are called by my name etc 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 then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When God's people get right, God pours out showers of blessing. We see that profoundly. Let's read the rest of the chapter so you can see how good it gets. Elijah, verse 42, went up to eat and to drink. Excuse me, Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees, said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing and he said, Go again seven times. Elijah's acting on faith now. It came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. He said, Go up, saying to Ahab, Prepare their chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Came to pass in the meanwhile uh, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode. And went to Jezreel. By the way, that's where the palace is. You'll soon see. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. we got to put all of this in perspective. Because this incredible victory is about to explode. Elijah has said, uh, exercising faith, Ahab, get up. Uh, God's about to send showers of blessing. Uh, 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 Elijah hasn't seen it himself. Uh, He hasn't witnessed it himself. Uh, He just is exercising faith uh, that God's going to keep his word. Uh, So he tells his servant, uh, they go back up to Mount Carmel. Uh, He says, I can't look. You go look. Uh, And the servant says, I don't see a thing, Uh, uh, Elijah. Elijah says, go back and check again. And the, the servant says, I see a little something looks like like a cloud maybe, uh, and then all of a sudden, the thunder happens. And the rain begins almost out of nowhere. Elijah looks at Ahab. I'm paraphrasing and says, hey, buddy, you better get back to the house. Your chariot's about to get stuck in the mud. That's what he means. You understand you don't get mud without rain. He says, you better get back to the house. His house is in Jezreel. You better get back to the house. Uh, You're about to get stuck, bucko. And Elijah is so confident that he runs ahead of Ahab. And I can just imagine him standing there at the gates of Jezreel as the palace comes through uh, with his mouth sticking out, drinking up the rain. Saying, God is good. Something happens, church, between chapter 18 and chapter 19. Because the Elijah that we see in chapter 18, this one who is exercising incredible faith, this one who is experiencing mountaintop experiences uh, for the last three and a half years, is a radically different man in chapter 19 there's not much of a time lapse we're not talking about weeks we're not talking about days i think we're just talking about hours but something happens and so i go now to point number two one crisis has ended it's a national crisis the people are back to god The nation is back to worshiping God. They've repented and God has sent rain again. The national crisis is over. But another one's about to begin in chapter 19. It's not a national crisis. It's a personal crisis. It's a personal crisis. What you're about to see, I think, in chapter 19 is the moment where if you'll allow me to put it this way, Elijah slips off the mountaintop of a high down into the valley of depression. I'm going to pause a moment. Lord knows we're not going to get through all of this tonight. I got about 17 sub points on point two. Depression is the dirty little secret that nobody likes to talk about in Baptist churches. We don't mind requesting prayer for the physical problems that we or our loved ones experience. But we almost never talk about depression in our lives. Let me give you some staggering thoughts tonight about depression. Maybe this won't surprise you, but I have to tell you, it certainly surprised me. Winston Churchill perhaps one of the greatest minds who ever lived, said, Depression has followed me around like a black dog virtually my entire life. I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill. I love to read the speeches that he gave. One of the most brilliant orators to ever breathe a breath, yet he suffered from crippling depression. A young lawyer in the 1800s, suffered such deep depression that his friends and his family literally would keep the razors and the knives away from him. You've probably heard of this young lawyer. He became the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. He stated the following, I am at this moment, he was in the White House, the most miserable man alive whether it's better that I live or die, I cannot tell. A preacher, a hero, a giant of the faith in virtually all circles, a, many say the greatest pulpiteer who ever lived, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was given to periods of extreme depression. In fact, History tells that there were times uh, when Spurgeon was so depressed uh, that he would refuse to leave his home or go to church, uh, and on multiple occasions, uh, his deacons uh, had to come and physically carry their pastor to the pulpit. That wouldn't happen in today's churches, I can tell you that. I can give you story after story, but perhaps it would be better if I just gave you some statistics. Depression Affects people of all races, of all ages, of all groups, and both genders. 17.6 million people, let's round it to 18 million, will suffer depression this year. One out of every five Americans can expect to deal with depression in their lifetime. And the rate of clinical depression is nearly double that for women than it is for men. Statistics tell us that one out of every seven people will in some form uh, need professional help to deal with, with depression in their lifetime. The National Institute for Mental Health estimates that depression costs the nation $50 billion annually. And think about this. Over 2 million days of work are lost each year because of depression. Depression is the leading cause of alcoholism, drug abuse, and other addictions. And untreated depression is the number one cause of suicide. Yet we never talk about it in church. How crazy, how foolish that it affects this many people yet we're afraid to talk about it. It's a, an insignia, if you will. It's, it's something that we, we keep hidden, that we don't discuss. It's almost as if we're ashamed to admit the fact that either we or someone in our family has struggled with it. Let me let you in on a secret. We've struggled with it in our home. We've dealt with it. My wife has given me permission to share the story. Most of you know the story. If you were here several years ago when I talked about it, uh, she's battled it. Uh, in fact, uh, it came to a breaking point uh, when I walked into the bathroom one day and she slumped over the, ba- uh, the, the clothes hamper and I said, Renee, what's wrong? And she looks at me, tears streaming down her face. She has She's. I've got everything uh, that I've ever wanted in life and I'm miserable. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? We're going to the doctor. So we went to the doctor, and we got pills, and we treated it like any other condition. Like any other condition. Depression is one of the things in Baptist churches that we need to bring out of the dark and say, we recognize it, we're here for you, we love you. Can I tell you what I think makes depression so challenging for us? Because people who are struggling with depression don't do logical things, and we can't wrap our minds around that. I'm going to show you an example in just a moment of Elijah. We want our friends, our loved ones, ourselves to act logically, but people who are struggling with depression don't act logically. Why? They're struggling with depression. Let's go into chapter 19. Notice what it says, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. we got to stop right there for a second. Ahab still ain't got it, y'all. What what he just witnessed was not just about what, what, what Elijah did. That's what the God of Elijah did. Ahab still ain't got this. He tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. <laughs> Remember where Elijah is? He's at the gate. He went out ahead of Ahab. He's there in the city in Jezreel. And so Jezebel decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. And she says to uh, the messenger, you go tell Elijah, thanks very much for killing the prophets. You about to face the same thing tomorrow. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead, buddy. Now, I can understand why Elijah might be afraid, but can we pause a moment and say, can you remember what Elijah's just witnessed? I mean, for in addition to the Mount Carmel experience, this is the same Elijah that was fed by the brook. This is the same Elijah that was fed by the ravens. This is the same Elijah that resurrected a child from the dead. Elijah has seen God do incredible things. So the fact that some woman down at the palace don't like him ought not to be a big deal. But something has happened to Elijah. Because I want you to look at the next verse. Notice what it says. Verse number 3, when he saw that, he arose, and went for his life. Okay, I get that. Get out of Dodge. I get it. Came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. Here's a dangerous thing he's about to do. He left his servant there. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. Would you, would you agree that this Elijah is radically different from the other Elijah? This don't even look like the same man. This, this, this does not look like the same man who just whooped 400 prophets with a 67-word prayer. I think if God can handle 400 prophets of Baal, he can probably handle one woman. Or one man, I'm not being sexist, he can handle Jezebel. But i got to say it over and over. When we struggle with depression, we don't think logically. We don't act logically. You see, three things, and I'm not going to get through all of them. I'll get through as many as I can. Three things very quickly that I think are telltale signs of Elijah sinking into depression. Number 1, he's running away. He's running away. I said already, God has shown Elijah miraculously. He can handle this. He can handle everything that life throws at him. Yet Elijah does what is irrational. And folks, if you read the if you if you read carefully, he doesn't just leave Jezreel He goes 125 miles away. Mount Carmel is at the top of Israel, the northern kingdom. It's almost at the highest precipice. He travels 125 miles to the southern tip of Judah. He goes as far away as he can while still being in the promised land. I mean, we're not talking about leaving the city. He goes as far away as he can. And I know most of us read this. I read it. And I say, dude, what are you thinking? My stars, if God can handle the two 400 prophets, he can handle Jezebel. Don't run. But that's when irrationality begins to take over. Notice the next thing, which I said to you a moment ago. It's very dangerous. Elijah goes from running to retreating. He does something that I think is very, very symptomatic. He's fleeing, but he leaves his assistant behind. What's the problem there? Can I give you what I think are very quickly some danger signs? These are physical depression danger signs, but they're also spiritual depression danger signs. I'm going to be quick. Number one. When we cut ourselves off from those close to us, we're in trouble. When we cut ourselves off from those who are close to us, we're in trouble. This fella, when you read the story of Elijah, this servant, this fella went with Elijah everywhere, every miracle, every trial, every tribulation, this servant was there. And now we get to this critical juncture when Elijah needs him the most. Elijah says, mm, go away, go away. Elijah fails to realize, or fails to account the fact that in chapter 18, verse 18, he's already been told that there are 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. He's not by himself. But when we get, listen now, physically, spiritually when we get to the place where we're saying i'm all alone nobody understands nobody cares we're in a dangerous spot dangerous spot renee and i were doing some visiting a couple of weeks ago went into the home of one of the finest church members that have ever walked into the door of amazing grace baptist church doesn't mind me sharing. He told me I could. I'm not going to give you his name, but that, that doesn't matter. He looked at me and said, Preacher, first time in my life I got zapped with depression. My eyes got big. And, and this message, once again, that I had been working on smacked me upside the head. Every race, every creed, every class, every gender, it hits all of us. I looked at him and said, buddy, how'd you know? His exact words. Renee was sitting there. He said, when I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't want to be around the people that I love, I knew I was in trouble. Let me give you the spiritual application. When we don't want to be around the people that we love, we're in trouble spiritually. We're in trouble spiritually. Secondly, man, I got to hurry. Secondly, notice the second warning sign. He stopped praying for others And focused on himself. Can I remind you? Elijah's the prophet of Israel. He's the prophet of Israel. But now all of his attention is inward. That's a dangerous spot, folks. That's a dangerous position. Number three, he adopted a life is hopeless attitude. He said, that's it, I'm done, I quit finished. And then of course in verse number 4 he asks the Lord to kill him. You, if Elijah really wanted to die, he could have stayed in Jezreel. Because Jezebel doesn't say he's going to kill her. I mean, she doesn't say she's going to kill him. If he really wanted to die he didn't have to do what he did. Elijah's suffering, Elijah's suffering, depression ends up with a rationalization. I'm done with this. It's the last clause of verse number four that I think really sticks out. He almost rationalizes his behavior, excusing it by saying to Lord, it's enough now, Lord, take away my life. Why?" For I'm not better than my father's. What? What? Can I can can I pause a minute? Who told him that he was? I'm not being unkind, but who told him that he was? Why you say that, preacher? Because something's clicked. Elijah's not thinking like the preacher. Now, let me pause a moment and say, we'll look at this in next week. We serve an awesome God. Unlike friends and family who don't understand and say things like, snap out of it. It's like telling a diabetic, get better. Or someone with cancer, quit. You know, that, that's, that's our mentality with depression sometimes. Snap out of it. Pull yourself up. Come on. God doesn't operate that way. You're going to see that God, in a very just, just, in a very loving way, scoops up his prophet and lulls him to sleep and helps him understand. Elijah, I got you, and I got this. Can I end this tonight? Longer than I anticipated. By telling you what the doctor told me when we're sitting in the office and I'm begging her to give my wife something. I don't care what it is, give her something. Name the pill, I'll go buy it. She looked at me and she said, Mr. Hodges, right now you need to be still and you need to love your wife. All you need to do is love your wife and let me work on her. Can I encourage all of us? I think sometimes that's what God's saying to all of us. Be still. Let me take care of this. Let me love on you just a little bit. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to close this out in prayer tonight. I saw a lot of you nodding heads and wiping tears, and I get it. I'm right there with you. Something we all battle, something we all face. Affects just about every one of us in some capacity. So Renee's going to play. Miss Lisa's going to play. I'm going to close this in prayer. But if you want to slip up to the altar, you come on tonight while I pray. Lord, I want to, just want to thank you for this story. Lord, Elijah's not the only one, I think, in Scripture. That goes through this kind of battle. Lord, I think of Jonah. I think of Moses. Others in Scripture who battle these deep, dark pits. Lord, these spiritual giants who seem to fall into some very deep valleys. But Lord, what blesses my heart is in each of those occasions, you're so kind, you're so loving you just swoop in and you love us and you pick us up you don't cast us aside. Lord, we're going to look next week at how you take such good tender care of your prophet and how you get him back on the firing line again. Lord, I pray that in our own lives when we encounter this dreaded, dreaded condition that we have a heart for those that we love. Lord, as trite as it sounds, help us to love them through it. Help us to love them even when things don't logically make sense to us, to what they're doing. We understand. Lord, it's the depression that's got a hold of them. Lord, I'm glad. I thank you for modern medicine. Thank you for doctors, for the wisdom that you give them, that we can keep on...